0: It's wonderful to be here this morning. We woke up early this morning down in Currumbong and jumped in the car and drove up. And it's an easy drive these days. You just jump on the freeway and you're here. So I'm so thankful for all the upgrades that they've been doing over the past few years. For all the 80 k's an hour we used to have to drive, it's wonderful to be able to come straight up now. I was thinking on the way up, when was the last time I was here in Tarree? and I worked out, it had to be when I was like 10 years old I think, I came here once with my dad um, and I sort of remembered the, the way like, through Tarree over, over to the church and so that had to be the last time and it might have also been when um, my pa was the, the pastor at Foster Church, um, with Pasco, when he was a pastor there as well. So bit of a bit of a history in the area but i remember living in grafton and coming driving past here every time we had to go to Kurramong to see my great-grandparents so i'm so so thankful to be here and when i was thinking about me as i was driving up and my history kind of going up and down the coast i began to think about identity And so the question I have for you this morning as I jump into my sermon, what is your identity? But more than that, what defines your identity? Think about that. What defines your identity? That is the big question that we're going to try and answer today. What is my identity? Let's just quickly pray. Dear Jesus... I just thank you for the opportunity I have to share this morning and I pray that you will speak through me and that the words that I say are from you. In your wonderful name I pray. Amen. Our name. Our name's defiance. It's not all that defines us, but our name's is a part of our identity that That we get right when we are born and we carry it the entire way through our lives. So when we think about it, our identity in many ways is rooted in our parents and their parents and the parents before them. Our family is a big part of who we are. My mum and dad, when I was born, had a bit of a crisis over my name. My dad had a really good idea for my name and my mum said no. Uh, my dad's middle name is Brian and my dad thought that I should be called Brian. I, I'm so glad my mum said no and she decided to say no, no. He's being called Andrew. And the name Andrew comes, is a Greek name. And it comes from Andreas in and Andrew and it also comes from uh, the Greek word for man. And so I uh, Andrew, in its root form, is man, or manly man of God, if you get really, really deep into the syntax, which I like doing. But names carry me more than just what it means in a dictionary, but we carve out what our name means by who we are, and who, who we are under God. I can guarantee you lots of names have something to do with God. My name is a a man of God. Other names mean warrior of God, or son of God, or daughter of God, or godly woman. Names often have something to do with God. Why? That is the big. Question. Why? And in our modern world, where does this God fit in? If God is so rooted in our society, where does he fit in in this modern world? There's a really good example in the Bible about where God fits in in this modern world. Open with me to a story about four mates in Daniel 1. Daniel 1. As Australians, this story should ring true with us. It's a guy and his three friends facing the world. Not in a way that they dreamt of facing the world, but they face the world. Daniel is a character that I resonate with strongly. And we find in Daniel... Some interesting things about names. So let's start reading. I'm going to start in verse 1 of Daniel 1. And it says In the third year of the, reign of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. There's a lot that just happened in that first verse. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it, which means that he took over everything. Besieged it, the land was raised, it was no longer Judah. It was now part of the kingdom of Babylon. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the idols of the house of God, and he carried it into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. He brought the idols into the treasure house of his god. The very identity of an entire country has been taken into a pagan house of worship. That's what just happened there. That's a very big point. We've got to remember that. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, so these guys are good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had a ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Is the important verse. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Has anyone ever researched what those four names mean? Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. Kind of fitting when you think about what the entire book of Daniel is about. It's an apocalyptic prophecy about Judgment, and also about the coming Messiah. It's an apocalyptic prophecy. That doesn't mean that it's the end-of-the-world prophecy. That means that it is a prophecy that is for all people in all of the world. It is something that is a prophecy of warning for all people of all of the world. Hananiah means... God is gracious. There's two qualities about God. Mishael means who is like God. And who do we aspire to be like? We aspire to be like Jesus. That's really interesting. Azariah means God is my helper. And all the time we need God to be our helper. These four men... Boys, really, carry the identity of God, of an entire nation. And then we get to verse 7. This is where a big identity crisis happens. In verse 7 of Daniel 1, it says, To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, which means, may Bel protect his life. De-identified immediately. To Hananiah, Shadrach, which means follower of Aku, one of the pagan gods. Then to Shadrach, Hananiah to Shadrach, to Mishael to Meshach, and to Azariah to Abednego or Abednego, depending on how we translate it. So Meshach then means who is like Aku and Bendigo means servant of Nego or Nabu. Their identities have been changed immediately. They've been de-identified. But there's an important point to remember here. <coughs> Every single one of their names were changed to a name of a similar meaning but of a pagan reference. A Babylonian name that meant something similar but completely different. Their identities have been shifted to Babylon. To the king's court, to fit Babylonian traditions, to fit the Babylonian way of life. Their identities were shifted. And then something else happened. Their hope as a nation was destroyed. Judah existed as a, <clears throat> as a part of a prophecy that the Messiah was to come. That's gone, at least in their eyes. In their situation, their hope of a Messiah was, was gone. But, there's a big but here. They held onto to their own identities, even though the fact they were even made eunuchs. They had no hope of having a wife, of having children. Their future was gone. Their hope of a Messiah was gone. That's a hope of future. Just gone. Hopeless. This is a hopeless situation. Have any of us ever been in what feels like a hopeless situation? I ask you, a hopeless situation. What does that look like on earth? Call out, what does that look like on earth? What does hopelessness? look like on Earth? Looks like us in this room right now. <laughs> Cyclone. Cyclone. Disasters are coming. Earthquakes. Disasters are coming. What about personal situations? Look outside the physical. Look at our personal situations as well. Quite often our personal situations feel hopeless. There's stress. There's things to do. I have all the time to do everything. How am I going to get out of the situation I am in right now? <clears throat> That's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were in. They weren't just in a physical situation of hopelessness. They were even in a spiritual and mental situation of hopelessness. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not let go of their faith and their spiritual identity. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit more. If we flip over to Psalms 100, in Psalm 100 and verse 5, and I'm just going to flip there very quickly and read it, it says, we'll start in verse 3, "'Know that the Lord, he is God. "'It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. "'We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. "'Enter into his gates with thanksgiving "'and into his courts with praise.'" Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. That's a promise that Daniel and his mates held onto. Hopelessness, but hopeful at the same time. The fact that they held onto their old identity is a really interesting thing to try and understand. They were eunuchs, which means that they had no hope of a future family. And it even fits in with a prophecy where uh, Abraham was prophesied that at some point in the future, there's a prophecy to Isaiah actually, that there'd be a stop to the generations for a while. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were considered sons in the, uh, in the nation of Abraham and even all the way back to Messiah, they the lineage has been cut off right there, unless something drastic happens. But there's a really interesting concept in here. Let's keep on reading Daniel one. Can we read in Daniel one? There's something really interesting that happens. Let's go. Let's continue with verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What was Daniel saying here, along with his mates? We're not going to take part in this. Now, I don't have ever seen a feast. Well, imagine a potluck, but imagine it ten times bigger. The biggest potluck you've ever seen. But on this table there were slabs of pig and slabs of meat and all these different delicacies, which to these hungry young men might have been very tempting to eat. But they purposed in their heart not to defile themselves with the portion of the king's delicacies. Now, God, now this is verse 9. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the, than the young men who were your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over the den, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies also be examined. And as you, feet, you see fit, deal with us. They're putting their heads up on the table here. Deal with so he consented with them in his matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and faster in flesh than all the young men who ate a portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them all vegetable, veg- veggies, vegetables. As for these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and then the king interviewed them. And among them, all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he had found them ten times better. How? These men were hopeless. Yet they endeavored to change their situation. It wasn't just under God that their situation changed, God didn't come in and just do a miracle, they did something. Daniel said to the king's servant that he had put over them, I can do better than these other men, because my Lord is my God, and he will give me favour, give me providence. They were able to endeavour in this situation to be bold. Now my question to you is why were they so bold? Why were they so bold? They trusted God. They knew God. Who what was in their identities at the very beginning? What was in their names? The qualities of God. They understood that God was gracious, that God was their judge, that God was kind, that God is their helper. They knew that. It was spoken into them right when they were born. So my question to you is, what has been spoken to you right when you were born? What are you doing with, it, with yourself to you understand that God has spoken into you and he has a purpose for every single one of us, young, old, able or disabled? God has a purpose for all of us. And Daniel understood this. But more than this, With these 10 days, there's something that happens. Their spiritual life is not just a mind game. For so many of us, we're we're spiritual on one day of the week. I'm even guilty of this sometimes, quite often actually. We're spiritual on one day of the week and we rock up to church on the Sabbath. We walk in the front door and we go, happy Sabbath. And the other person goes, how was your week? And we go, it was good. that. We as a church is endeavor to bring our spiritual lives into our every day of the week and not just up here and not just in here but in the physical realm. What does living our spiritual life look like? It's a holistic vision that then you'll let God in the book of Daniel for us. Spirituality is not one day of the week, ever. It includes all of our physical realm. But on this earth, there's a big issue that we're tackling right now as a society. It's given a buzzword, consumerism, but it's more than that. In a a book that I've, I've read recently by the Fuller Youth Institute, it's actually a journal article, it says, We as a society, get this, we as a society believe the idea that you can be saved from a life of insignificance and despair when you find yourself in a struggle for happiness, dissatisfied with life and who you are, your search will ultimately lead you to a purchase. Personal acquisition, is what the world has us believe, personal acquisition is the way to fulfilment, happiness and meaning is in life. We all fall into this trap. But that is not all to the story. It also tells us that our identity lies in what we buy and that our task as adults is to nurture a new generation of consumers because that's who we are. The world is telling us our identity this is a group of people who make acquisitions to feel better about ourselves. I mean, I do like going and buying some new clothes and buying a new bit of technology. In fact, quite often I'll sit there scrolling down on Amazon looking at all the camera gear that I could buy. But is a purchase the way to personal fulfillment and happiness? How long does that feeling of happiness last? A few hours, maybe a week, if it's something that's really good, maybe a little longer until the newness factor wears off. But it isn't a permanent happiness, it isn't fulfillment. That word fulfillment is often used with consumerism because consumerism is a life of unfulfillment, because we're missing a key concept a spirituality that takes over our entire life. There's also something else that this Daniel story paints. This Daniel story suggests that when that spirituality is brought into our physical realm, into what we do, people get interested. In, in this Bible, it says that the king interviewed them. But when I dug into the, into the language a little bit more, I found out it was a word that was more than interviewed. The king walked with them. You get that? And that idea of walk is only used so when someone steps into your life and walks with you. The king was so interested in what these four boys did and were doing that he walked with them and invited them into his courts. The king began to love them as his own sons. And we see this theme throughout the entirety of them. When when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego ended up in the fire, the king was most upset because these were three of his best men. Yet the law of the land said they must be killed, and the fact that they survived, the king was most pleased with. Daniel, what happened to Daniel? <laughs> was the king pleased at bowing his best servant into the land? And said, no. The king was invested in these men's lives. Yet the world as the king was in kept in trapped. The king, this book of Daniel is a story about these four boys being trapped. The book of Daniel with a story about Nebuchadnezzar being trapped in the tuberic gold that he was in. The king had everything he would ever want. When on earth, I'll be honest with you, we've got everything we could ever want. It's just we've got access to an attack of the button. I mean, why on So fulfilling right now, you click the button and it rocks up your door and man, you know, i got a new piece of technology. The king had everything he ever wanted. He was trapped. He was trapped in this world of consumerism that we so often fall into the trap of doing. My question is, who are you throwing into your lion's den? Who are you throwing into your fire? Who are you trying to get out of your life because they are trying to encourage you to be more spiritual? Maybe you can be a Daniel in someone else's life and encourage them to step out in faith. Daniel and those three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—they got the king to step out of his own well. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't permanently changed, but he looked out his own box. That's a big step for a, a man like Nebuchadnezzar. Who are you getting to look out of their own box? The king was truly interested in what set them apart. So, how do we bring our spirituality into the physical world? What's, what's some ideas? What can we do to bring our spirituality into the physical world? As the Adventist Church, we've got a pretty cool message. What's, what's our Adventist identity? There's only three things that everyone knows this Health for. Health message. Health message, that's number one. Everyone knows that we're so the Nazis, that are all vegetarians. But then that's a good thing. I'm telling you. The world is beginning to look at health seriously. They're taking it seriously. I mean, look at Australia. The entire government has shifted from not caring about citizens' health to seriously thinking about it, putting programs in place to live a holistic lifestyle. That's a word that our church uses all the time. Holistic. That is what governments are starting to do around the world, putting a holistic lifestyle. So, the health message is number one. What's number two? The Sabbath. That's the word I'm looking for. The Sabbath. Now, I said that we don't need to be one day a week Christians. Now, the Sabbath is important. Look, we can pay the rest from our labor of the rest of the week. The Sabbath is a way of us worshiping God. The Sabbath is all these things. But the Sabbath is also what sets us apart. Uh, when I was at high school, I went to Morris at high school, to public school, and all my friends thought I was strange because I went to church on the Sabbath. And then I realized in my year there was about 12 other Seventh day Every single one of them ashamed of talking about the fact that they went to church on Saturday. Do you know why? In our area, rugby league is play on Saturday. AFL, the circle of console played on Saturday. Cricket, my favourite sport on AFL, is played on Saturday. I mean I'd maybe don't play the second day as 12th man, but that would be uh, be very fun. Every single sport competition was on Saturday. Me and my seventh day best friend from Laura Sets probably said no to about 20 parties because it was all on Saturday. The Sabbath was something that seemed like a negative at school. But by the time I reached year 11 and 12, it was positive. All my friends were burned down. With all the last Sabbath said that went to church on the Sabbath, but we weren't. We had that day, that day was break. great. But also brought all Christians, people began to be interested in why we were different. Why are we different? Now, I'm not saying we're strange as a 7th day administration. What I'm saying is we're different. We have something special. My, my dad's side of the family, the Pratt side, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the, the Corley story, He um, was an Adventist pioneer in Australia. But there's this story that that family tells about how. Um, how Paul has put a track which, on pick fence in Melbourne, was where it was hopeless, and that's all about hope. That's the story that all my uncles and my father are taking in their ministry. Is that even on the most hopeless day, you never know what's going to going to help out someone else. Now that story has inspired my family. Something different that they have used. So the point that Brendan has now got his wife to write a book about. And it's now being published and it's being printed and sold around the country in Adventist bookstores and in Courant, but this story set my family apart. It was his life that even on the most hopeless days, day, there's hope. Kind of like Daniel, He was hopeless, that he had hope. And that idea of being set apart is something that we as the Adventist church need to grab onto, because I've heard people from other churches say that we have something special. My dad has a good mate, Andrew McDonough here. He writes children's stories. He's a Baptist church pastor, but he writes children's stories about the lost sheep, about uh, Peter going through them, and all these different stories. And he was at Avondale recently for a seminar with my dad, And he wanted to go and see the rock where Ellen White had the vision that Avondale College would be started. This is a Baptist guy wanting to go and see this Ellen White story. I went, okay. My dad took him up to the rock. They stood in front of this little sandstone rock with a little bit of a plaque on it. And Andrew stopped and he went, you know what? You guys have something that no other church has. Why don't we use it? We struggle to use it. Our identity is something we are ashamed of and we need to flip it on its head and use it. It isn't hard, but it's also very hard, if that makes any sort of sense. We're scared. We're scared of doing it as a church, but the church is in need of a 360 flip and to realise that we have something special. We are set apart and we are different. Today I want to challenge you with something. I want you to think about when you go home today, a little bit of homework. It's not school, but I'm sending you home with a bit of homework. I want you to go home and I want you to think about what sets you apart. Do it with your partner, do it with your kids, do it with your friends. What sets you apart? And I want you to write down a list of what sets you apart. And next I want you to write, how can you use what sets you apart to share Jesus with your circle that you touch every day in your life? How can you use what sets you apart? Maybe you've lost sight of what sets you apart. This is a really good opportunity for you to re-engage your faith and your spirituality and bring it into the physical realm, bring it into what you do. In a book I've been reading recently by John Ortberg, he writes on spirituality for pastors and for churches, and I was challenged by something in this book. And he says, periodically, they, that's all of us, may try to get their spiritual lives together. Periodically, they may try to get their spiritual lives together by praying more regularly or trying to master another spiritual discipline. This, it, is the religious equivalent to going on a diet or trying to keep to a budget. Has anyone here ever tried a diet? How long does it last, to be honest with you? Two weeks max, That's really pushing it. I mean, I get to a week and I'm I'm really wanting my chocolate mousse and some chocolate ice cream. It's It's a real struggle. How about going on a budget? For me, I'm a fiscally minded person. I try to keep the budget. There's others that are not so fiscally minded. They just want to go and spend. It's really hard to keep to a budget. I mean, I got paid on Tuesday, and immediately I was f- freely tapping my card to buy some coffee, even though I've got a coffee machine. I know I shouldn't be having that, but and you're at college, sometimes that's what ends up happening. And then I was tapping my card at the shop to buy some junk food. Why was I buying junk food? I don't need to have then I was tapping my card down at Tuggerow to buy some clothes. Why? It's the same thing as mm-hmm. when we try to get a spiritual energy water. We just struggle. So there's a really big 180 that needs to happen in this space. But there's a truth here. The, the term is- spiritual life, which I've been using today, a really good way of referring to one's life. You get that? Your spiritual life isn't just a segment of your entire life over here and this is your life over here. Your spiritual life is everything. Your spiritual life encompasses all of you. Our spiritual life is our identity. Our spiritual life is our identity. So as I begin to wrap up, and we're going to sing Hymn 86 in a minute, I challenge you, what are you going to do with your one life, with your spiritual life, your all-encompassing life with God? We've got to move to seven days a week Christianity. We're not one day a week. We're not just on Sabbath. We are every single day of the week, seven days a week, 24-7 followers of Jesus Christ. Daniel could do it. I mean, he struggled sometimes, but he managed to do it. The reason he got in so much trouble is because he was every day of the week Christian. We have a lot to do to do this. But I challenge you you can be a seven day of the week, seventh day Adventist. We're called Seventh-day Adventists for a reason. Not just the fact that we worship on the seventh day. It's because we worship seven days a week. Let's all stand and sing hymn 86. And then I'm going I'm to close with a benediction. In that benediction, I'm going to offer you a challenge. I'm going to reissue this challenge. And I want you in your heart to accept it. Let's be seven days a week Adventists.